Welcome to this episode of Lead Sex, where we go over the current trends that will impact society the next decade. Our world today is tremendously changing and confronted with an enormous urban growth. According to the United Nations, 68% of the world population will live in cities by 2050. So today's cities are increasingly coming into focus as they have to deal with other ongoing challenges in addition to the change of rapid urbanization. More recently with the pandemic and remote work and now everyone talking about the metaverse, what will be the role of cities? How do you deal with issues of quality of life, budget, citizen participation, disasters, transportation and so many other things? So invited Marcos Pinheira, a serial entrepreneur, leading specialist in smart cities and one of the most creative people I know. Since 2014, he has been the head of future at the Qashqai City Hall, in charge of communication, innovation, information technology, culture, heritage, citizenship, talent, youth, sports, strategic planning and smart cities. He aims to make Qashqai's in Portugal the best place to live, either one day or one life, which they've been managing with many awards under their belt. Besides that, he lectures on entrepreneurship, cultural entrepreneurship, and the relation between culture and business. During his career, he founded several companies in the communication, advertisement, technology, and cultural sectors. He was also responsible for creating and managing the first European Digital Film Festival. I'm David Bernardo, and I'll be joined today by our student interviewer, Janos Geyer. We hope you enjoy it. So, Marco, welcome to our Lead Sex podcast, you have one of the coolest titles ever, Head of Future and then of Qashqais, which is one of like the really cool cities in the world. Explain us a little bit of what is Head of Future and, and what you do. Hey guys, good morning. Thank you for the invitation. Well, Head of Future is exactly what, what it means. I mean, I'm, I'm the person in the city that is trying to predict, trying to manage, trying to drive the city into the, the, the future. So trying to understand the trends, understand how they will impact what we do, how they will impact the citizens and respond to them uh, whenever we, we can. It also means that there's a cluster in the organization of the city that we call the future, which has a lot of areas that we think are connected and contribute to that future or to that change, which are brand and communication, IT, citizenship, culture, youth, and a lot of a lot of areas that then I will I'm also managing. Okay, and then when when we were talking uh, before the podcast, you were mentioning that you actually have a framework on like what are the areas, what are the key trends, so that because it's such a broad thing, you're basically speaking about politics, you're speaking about business, you're speaking about people. Like, how do you see, like, first of all, what are the major trends and how would you structure them in terms of your approach to, okay, I have to deal with change for the next uh, decade? How do you go around it? Well, it is, and if you think about it, the a city, well, think of a huge city, which it's the size of the world. So if you have a city that is the size of the world, you're, everything is about the city. And it, when you come down to a smaller city like Qashqais, you still have that everything built into it. And so we have more products or services than any company that you can think of have in, in, in their portfolio. And so it's quite difficult to try and make sense and understand all of that. The, the framework 
is that, that we uh, um, created, it's very simple. It has three big areas that can provoke change or have consequences. The first one is about politics. Uh, and, and politic, it's not in the sense of political parties, but in the sense of the, the managing the things of the people. And these uh, politics are basically the public policy that is what controls everything. I mean, think about it. A company can be out of business from one day to the other because the government just signed a document saying that specific product that they are working on is not allowed anymore. And so in that sense, public policy really controls everything. And the changes or the trends in this political uh, public policy around the world really impact a lot the day-to-day -day or, or the, 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 the management of a city. Think about the rise of populism. How are people incorporating that into their own life and the, the response that they have to the local government of any city, independently of the party? Think about climate change and the trend of making of the people trying to force governments into taking into action. And think about the fact that power is being centralized in supranational organisms like the European Union and at the same time is being decentralized for a local government like cities. And so... This changes the status quo of, um, of a city, and we will have to, to, to plan for that. The other big area that will impact how you see the city is the human condition. So what defines us as humans? What do we need? What do we want? Do we need family? Do we, what's the concept of happiness? What's the, our relationship to nature? How do we fit into a society? How do we actually perceive life. And, and that is, of course, different in a lot of latitudes, but it has this human condition that most of us will underline. And, and that, of course, when you manage, manage a city, you don't manage only buildings and streets and, and resources. Most of all, you manage a community. Most of all, you manage a group of, of citizens. And so this perception, this will, this... Uh, wishes and, and expectations are really super important into going about predicting the future. The third and last one, which is the most common one when, when we think about this, is the actual business of the city. I mean, is AI replacing trash trucks, for instance, uh, or residue collecting trucks? Um, let's say with drones, for instance, mm. okay, or... or Things like technology allows us to pay as you throw the tools in terms of continuing with the trash example. While right now everyone is paying the same independently of the amount of trash that they're making. And now technology allows us to start charging people per the amount of trash that they, that they produce. So these are the three big areas sort of say to that, that I think we need to look at when we're trying to to think about the future of a city. Yeah. So do you think that, that it's more of a, so since we have these three areas, the political, the human condition and the business of the city, do you think that change in a, in a city, wherever it's going, should more come from the political, the human condition 
or the business of the city, or is it a mixture of all of them? Or which one plays the biggest part? It, it's always a mixture, and sometimes it can be managed, and sometimes it cannot be managed. So sometimes you can predict it, and sometimes you just need to react to it. Think about something when I when, when we talk about future of cities, I always tell the audience to think about what close your eyes and think about the city in the future in the really far future 50 years from now what kind of city do you see and for most of you this not always works but for most of you and, and if you're like me you're gonna see something that is coming out of pop culture because that's what makes like the our... Jetsons or Back to the Future precisely yeah, yeah. you know it's Jetsons it's Back to the Future <clears throat> it's Blade Runner it's Minority Report All of these things, that's immediately what you think of because of pop culture. But actually, it's funny because like even in movies, it, it kind of started changing. Like if you go to movies like her, it, it actually becomes much more like a whole vintage look to it and much no, more but that, integrated. But that's yeah. the point. That, 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 that's exactly my point. If you think about that pop culture, you have cell phones, which were in Star Trek, these telecoms and so forth, yeah. they're coming true. You have self-driving cars, that is coming true. And so it's coming to be a reality. You have all of this, even teleportation now, it's already being done at a quantical level. So all of these things are really becoming reality. But one thing is not becoming reality, is the shape and looks of those cities that you were imagining before. If you yeah. look at cities right now and the way they are becoming They're super green, they're really nice, they're really vintage. They're all of these things that are not... The one thing of this sci-fi and, and all the futurists were predicting, the only thing that is not coming becoming true is the looks of the city. The cell phone, I think, because even the concept of a cell phone, it's pretty idiotic if we think about it. We have like a small screen, we have 360 vision, 360 audio, and we basically spend our day looking at the small screen. So when you have like technology completely integrated with reality. But we're getting there, yeah. you know, holograms. The, um, augmented the, reality. Augmented reality. reality, cheap implementation, everything that really weird and futuristic stuff that it's been populating our minds, everything is becoming real. But with better taste, better design. <laughs> A little bit better design. But, well, you say now because... Before yeah, we, we really looked, wanted, we, like, we thought yeah. it was amazing, you know, because we all wanted an overboard. <laughs> that's just fashion and so forth. But all of these things, the one thing that is not is cities. You cannot find a city that is being uh, managed today, or a city that is being created today, because there's a lot of new cities being built that doesn't aim to be. And there's, I usually show uh, examples of this. All the cities that are being planned. Uh, whether they're existing or they're new, they're completely different from that. They are super green. If you don't see the buildings, the better. The buildings, if they exist, they're being built in wood, like the Sidewalk Labs project in Toronto. They're being um, really going back to basics of living and human nature. And, and I think that's that's really cool. And so to your question, this is something that is just being felt by everyone that is working the city, like the architects, like the planners, like green space planners and so forth, they feel that the people need this. And so they start responding to that. That's now 
the really hyping architecture is sustainable architecture. And that's because the market demands. It's not because I as a city am doing that to be like that. The and then, of, but, but yeah. then, sorry, then if the people really want it and I as a, as a executive member feel that, then I need to respond to that as well. And so I will build on top of that. And so this makes it really organic from bottom to top, but also then you pick up on that and then you just start doing it from top to bottom. And the whole thing is quite organic. This is the city, so... There's something like, if you can just elaborate a little bit before like going on the several pillars, because um, the whole concept of biophilia and the whole concept of... Um, how you integrate art because something that you've been doing like amazing with Kashkais, it's um, besides Nova and the whole project that you did here, which is pretty impressive. Um, I keep bringing people to visit because I'm so proud of the project here that you were a big part of. How do you integrate nature? How do you integrate art? Art I know has been like one of the pillars of your work uh, in Kashkais. How do you bring all this? And then it's funny because if you look, I don't know, it's your major cities, And like New York, like artists go into Soho, which was basically a dumpster, and that, then Brooklyn, and then they make it cool. Then I don't know. Uh, young, money starts it, flowing in. Money starts they make flowing it less in, cool. And then eventually it's completely gentrified. Families are on it, and the artists. So actually, art is a big part of like renovating and renewing a city. Like, how do you integrate all these things? Because you've been working so much on it. Again, this is very organic. It, gentrification is a problem and it's a problem of globalization. It's a problem uh, of globalization because you have the whole world without borders and anyone can go anywhere. And as soon as you start making some place that people are drawn into, then a lot of people are drawn into that. And then you really create, you really mess up what you created in the beginning because the conditions are not there anymore. Yeah, a lot of and, people are trying to make Burning Man everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 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 and Burning Man itself starts getting so big and so, so many people are trying to go there, then eventually the concept, the people that were going in the beginning stopped going because it's not the same anymore. Yeah, and the prices go up. And the prices so go up yeah. and so people also stay out and the people that are creative because they need to be creative because they don't have any money, yeah. stop going. And then only the people that are with money are going, but they're not creative. And so that kills sort of the starting flame of that. And, and that's a really important concept because in a, in a place like Kashkaish, uh, this is exactly what we are trying to do. And it's super hard. We have around 100 square kilometers of territory. One third of that, so around 30 square kilometers, is a natural park, completely protected by law. And so we have very little territory to, to manage. And that, then the urban planning starts playing here. So in terms of the environment, in terms of the service of delivering of a city, density is good. So instead of just spreading out uh, as much as you can, you should build on top as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Because sewage systems, trash collecting systems, even the permeability of the soil, everything works better. But that's what people do not want, you know? If you want to 
you want to have a house instead of being in a building. But if you start having a lot of people, then you really the density is absolutely necessary. If you stop, if you stop densifying, then you're going to have prices rising. That's what we did. We don't want to mess up the initial conditions that are attracting a lot of people here. And we don't want to overbuild. We're actually trying not to build, only to refurbish. Of course, that limits the offer and the demand continues to grow. And so the prices are growing, gentrification starts to happen. And on top of that, then all of these notions of we, we cannot have too much cement, we need to have green, we need to have parks, we need to have art, so that the, 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 the city, it's more organic, talks more to you. And, and you feel better in it and also creates um, that pressure on the offer side. And so the demand keeps growing and then the prices keep going. And that's a huge, that's a very difficult equation to solve. And, and there's no solution for that. You just need to manage the equation, sort of go go along with it and, and try to to do it in one side and then go to the other side and then try to manage the balance. So what, what do you think, what does remote work to that, especially density, since you don't actually have to live in the city to be close to your place or working actually, that people are also thinking about moving out because they, they can live somewhere else where they actually have to work. Do you think that this is going to have a big effect on the density of a city? Is it going to slow it down or is it actually going to pick it up? I think that's a trend. I think there's no significant force and and um, actual with, with 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 any kind of future force if you if you want that that will happen. I still think that people will not leave the city. Uh, they're now thinking about leaving. They're now looking at uh, at the countryside. But at the end of the day, you want to be close to to other human beings. You want to be sharing experiences and and more and more. Life is about sharing experiences and experiences. And so if you are by yourself with your family somewhere in the middle of nowhere, that will not happen. And so I, 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 I still think that demand for cities will grow. What you see now, you feel it because you hear a lot of people talking and it's possible and so forth. It will happen but not at a significant level that will change the trend. But maybe the city changes as a, on its role. Like in terms of, I don't know, just in terms of real estate, like commercial real estate probably uh, could go down in value, like even like store space, um, all these things. And then like, but also like you're seeing a trend and like here in Portugal, you are seeing a lot of that, like people that are creating these communities. I think it's always a little bit like animal farm uh, and eventually like all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. And a lot of communities when they start self-organizing collapse, but you're seeing this trend. Do you think there's going to be a repopulation of like smaller I, cedars? I, yeah, but I, I don't think it's a trend. I think it's a fad. Okay. Uh, you so think it's a fad? I think that you, you, you are seeing people looking out of the city. Uh, we saw that um, prices increase, but you cannot consider as countryside. I mean, yeah. We're 10 minutes away of the city. That no, I was considering this a city, not countryside. No, exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but we see people coming from Lisbon here. Yeah. And that is uh, something that I think will impact cities. The suburbs of the city will be having a lot of demand. But it's still a city. So the, the, what I'm talking about is when you really go to the country, uh, live really further away from a city or in these communities... I think it's a fad and, and there's not enough people doing that to have 
any kind of strength, strength, if you want to it. Okay. And then in terms of the human condition, went through the, the political aspect in terms of the human condition. Well, it has to do with everything. Why are we here in the world? You know? And you fulfill yourself right now with work and family. But if you implement universal income and robots start doing the work, then you stop having the work side fulfillment. It's just going to be all entertainment. And that connects to how is the city built. If you're going to spend more time in the city running or going to cultural, to cultural uh, events, then the city needs to adapt to that because we are built on this notion of you need to sleep and you need to work, period. And coming to the previous question that I actually forgot, like the trends of retail, it's true we also see that everything is going digital. But at the same time, we see that the retail is getting more and more in demand, which is, which is a little bit... Experience, yeah. That's the thing. It's, it, it looks nonsense, but it's not. It's just not. The retail, I believe, that we're going to see in the next few years, it's not a, a place where you're going to buy, buy stuff. You're just going to entertain yourself. And that entertainment includes buying something. You're just not going there to buy a pair of pants. You're going there because of the whole experience. And then you get the pants. At the same time, you'll continue to get your pants or shirts or whatever online. And, and, and I But think you that you're going to need less retail space because you don't have geographical differentiation. No, you don't need to be close to the client. No, yeah. no, what I'm saying is that the retail space will become entertainment space with retail in it. Yeah, but, but also you're going to need less points. In the sense, like before, I needed to be close to the to the client. Oh, yeah, but so instead of you're having like three stores, I might but, do the same thing with one. So that will yeah, increase the number. That's true, David. But one of the trends that we're seeing a lot is this notion of 15 minute city, uh, which is in 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 a very in a, any specific place that you are, you have to be 15 minute away walking distance to any service. Or experience that, of your uh, life. As you know, I live in Mexico City, and Mexico City has that in terms of the cities. So, and that doesn't happen. People are like, "Oh, does Lisbon compared like to Mexico?" It's like actually Mexico has a much more livable exactly situation because, because you have like these neighborhoods that are like mini cities Precisely. that you can. I can walk to the gym, to the supermarket, to 30 Precisely. different restaurants. And there's this whole and, infrastructure around. And the retail there will also be much more organically. So probably you will not find a Zara store on all of the neighborhoods, but you will find a designer clothes store in one and a designer clothes store on another one. And then Zara will move basically online. But that's very upscale when you have like the designers you are talking about. No, no, no. Well, no, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm talking design in the sense of a, a person brand, not, not upscale designer. Okay. Like a boutique store. Like an artist. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm doing my own clothes line, clothes mm -hmm. line and, and, and I'm selling it and I have my shop. It's like having a small coffee shop Yeah. Uh, in the sense of the, it's one shop with a specific Uh, um, brand of clothes or a brand of shoes or whatever, but it's very specific. It's there. It's it's very small. It doesn't have impact, but it works well in this 15 minute city. And but I, I also cost. 
the problem with that is like in terms of you're seeing something like um, Shane, the yeah. the Chinese uh, app that they are basically and like you're seeing like in terms of like globalization brings the cost down and and you're seeing a, a massive trend. So there's a balance in between like that's again this is very organic because if if you have more buck for your hour because you're working less hours, then you're gonna have more money to spend it as well. And you need to spend it because that's part of the entertainment of the experience. And 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 we are leaving that right now. This is being defined right now. Not by me, not by you, but by all of these forces working together. If I'm working half the time and making fifty percent more because that's how we, we need to balance our economy and we need to balance the corporation of robot taxing and so forth, taxation and so forth, then I'm going to be much more able to, to decide that I'm going to create a T-shirt uh, store and I'm going to sell T-shirts. I'm going to sell 50 because of the price, but and not 1,000. But I'm still going to do it because for me... That's not my livelihood, it's just my project. And for you, that's not where you get your t-shirts, but that's part of your experience of going to the neighborhood and understanding and being different and cool and so forth. You're gonna st still going to buy your clothes in Shin or Zara or whatever. But at that specific spot, this is part of the entertainment experience of this whole new condition of being human. This is my opinion. This is like... 5,000 different dimensions and, and decision uh, trees of this vision, but uh, this is one of them. So since you talked about working less and earning more, we have more free time and we can actually experience more. But the question now with, with cities and already existing infrastructure and, and office spaces, parking, roads that we use daily to get from A to B, from home to work, what is going to happen to, to these existing infrastructures with, with roads and parking and everything that we already have? And also office spaces, we're probably going to need less, right? That's the cool thing about it, we don't know. So we need to right now start thinking, what are we going to do with this parking space that was needed and now it's not? And let me give you an example. In Portugal, we are getting less and less children. We are living more and more each day. So you have someone that in average is living to 120 years old. And we're talking about a future that is 10, 15 years away, 120 years old. And as we know, which is one of the problems, any first world country or any country that starts having GDP that increases the economic value for its population starts declining in um, in, in natality. And so we had, and, and, and Qashqais is an example, and I can, uh, I can give you that example. We, last year, we had four schools, uh, primary schools, that were closed because we don't have children to support those four buildings. So we had them closed. What do we do? We turned them into nursing homes. For the, for the demographic for, for the change. Elder, for yeah. the elder. So we are adapting to the demographic. We could also... Are you promoting also, like, I don't know, more families, younger... No, and, and no. we or? also... What we did is also in two of them, we created house, uh, kind of a nursing home, only for the, the deficient, um, incapacitated people, mm -hmm. um, which also is social inclusion, which, which is a really big trend right now. So you don't leave anyone behind. And there's a lot of people that 
have problems and, and they're less fortunate than, than most of us, we also address that. And, and we have this kind of uh, regeneration for the city. It's, it's also a very cool process. And we're going to have to do that with the streets. The street is, was used and, and was thought for 5,000 cars. And now we have 50. Then we have a lot of space that we can use it for. And there's lots of examples on, on, in the world where a street, a whole street, becomes a playground for kids, which is cool. Definitely. When we're talking about demographic change and also having the first area of, of politics um, and, and changing how a city works with its citizens, do you think that politics should also try to push towards changing the demographic change, so maybe promoting having more kids and also trying to, to keep it balanced so we don't have too many elder people, people who will be supported by the younger working people? You're dealing with part of the future and staying in the present in the same sentence. So in, 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 in the future that I just described, the young people will not support the older people. Robots will support everyone. Okay. Although it's very tricky in terms of like universal income, because then you, you come to competition between areas. You're in a globalized, uh, and, and I think that's the major issue we have right now. I think it's very interesting when you talk about politics, because we have like the big powers, and then we have countries, and then we have in some cases states, and then we have the cities, and then the communes, and the whole thing how you manage all this uh, vertical integration and, and line of, of command. But then, and, and I think one of the big issues is we have a global society and we have still the concept of countries that for me starts making less and less sense because especially when we are talking, I don't know, pollution of the ocean and the ocean is all connected or COVID. Uh, or COVID. But then we are just impacting like a small Like if I pollute the ocean in front of me, it will end up in other countries. But if I have different regulations, everyone that wants to pollute will come to my country. So this globalization without like proper rules that uh, rule like over uh, the whole globe, they are very hard to implement. And I think on taxes, we've seen that with like large corporations going to like Apple and so on, that now that is changing, but going to Ireland. If taxes were going to be lower in, country, in I don't know, in Africa, for instance, uh, why would I stay for me as a company to stay in, in a country that has universal income? I'll probably have to pay more taxes. So I'll probably move my operation and everyone works remotely. How can you implement these things at a large scale that will allow for you to keep investment and companies in your country without scaring them away? We will always find a way uh, because we are always adapting. Universal income, and I'm not defending it, it's just one of the possibilities, but it's not that different of what you just said, the taxation or let's say the, the, the big tech taxation. They were doing business all over the world and not being taxed yeah. because they were non-existent and they found a way. So Actually, they know they're going to yeah. start, start splitting the taxes wherever they have business. And so that will always, uh, if you compare, even in, in Europe, if you, that you can freely move around. You have countries uh, like Austria, where they pay you 500 euros a kid just to help out with the family. And Portugal, where they pay you, if you don't have means to support yourself, they pay you like 50. That's exactly the same. And again, this is not, not just producing money. This sort of universal income innovation is linked 
to robot taxation. So the work will still be uh, taxed, but there's still work to be taxed. Mm-hmm. It's not just I'm printing money yeah, to, the tax to decide. The robots that um, and, and the capital will still be taxed as well. And so that's that balance will still have to to be managed. There are going to be a lot of obstacles, but they will find a way. Think of universal income just one step down, like countries like, uh, I believe it was Norway. Yeah, uh, with the oil tax. Yeah. With your no, 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 started to uh, implement the three-day weekend. That's that's some sort of universal tax. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm working less one day, and I'm still... Making the same same money. Although they do have oil money. Yes, but Spain (laughs) is also doing that. Spain is, uh, I think, in one of the communities at least, I think will start to try and and do that. But social, uh, civil society is doing that forever. You know, in in Portugal, in the advertisement industry, the tradition is you don't work on Friday afternoon. It's really, I think this is very organic and we need to, that's why we need to try to see ahead and try more than to force or forbid, we need to try and, and pick it up and give it power or try and, 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 and make it less powerful be, depending on, on what you need and what kind of city you are. Yeah. Um, one thing that, um, that I've seen actually when I visited you in your office is like, all the impact that you've done with technology. I'd like to understand a little bit more, like what's your approach to technology and what are you in terms of, you're seeing in terms of developments, uses, usage, like you're doing a lot with data, with AI. You had like uh, the self-driving buses that we have here, one parked in uh, at Nova. Uh, it's all the electrical. Parked, it's huh? moving. It's moving. I only see him there. I only see it there. And uh, you're also, I don't know how that project is, but you're talking about drones between here and uh, Lisbon. Like, where, in terms of technology, where are you see? What are the big implementations that you're having? Where do you see things coming? And that's that comes to the to the point that I I do not like this smart city denomination or talk because it leads us to the wrong path. So the technology is not the center for, I think, for Kishkais, it's definitely it's not the center. Oh, yes. Strategy always before. It's, a, it's an enabler to whatever It's an enabler. Uh, yeah. But, but when, you, when you start, and that's what you teach in, in your class, yeah. and, and I think it's great. But when you go to smart cities, cities just want to have a control center. No, we just say, we say exactly the same thing. Like digital transformation doesn't make sense because... Every, Everything is digital now. So Precisely. talk about transformation and then support it with technology. Like don't go exactly. into like, oh, let me just launch the next gadget because you end up creating Frankensteins that don't make for, any sense. For nothing. Yeah. That's the point. So technology in terms of cities, uh, think about this. We have a city like Kashkash, 250,000 inhabitants, or Lisbon with 600,000, or a city somewhere in the middle of the, Portugal and Spain, that has, I don't know, 1,000 people. I mean, why does that city need technology? If someone parks badly on the street, everyone from the hairdresser to the butcher to the mayor knows that someone parked on the street and knows whose car is it and knows that it's from the cousin that came from the weekend and it's there. And probably they will not get a ticket because there's no other cars in the city. So who cares if they park wrongly? If you park wrong on a busy street in Lisbon or Cascais, no one cares 
But the impact on the city is huge. Traffic jams, uh, um, people uh, getting late. Uh, so the impact on, on the people of the city. But no one knows what's happening. You do not see that there's a specific car. And, 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 and even if you see it, you, you hollow and, and, and start bitching about the, 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 the driver. And then you move on and go to your, to, to your life. And so for me, what technology does, and, and uh, by the way, cities for me have been intelligent and not really smart. I don't like the, the word smart. For forever. I mean, when Romans created cities, they created roads. How cool is that? They created sidewalks. They created sewage systems. Imagine Lisbon, that was the center of Europe in the, in the 1500s, with all this uh, garbage going around, with no uh, clean water, with nothing. But they were still the smartest city in Europe. Then they had roads, they had horses with, with the public transportation, with carriages and so forth. All of those are innovations to make the city life better. And so once you start going from small little towns to big towns, the change is that the amount of people living together increases. And as that number increases, the coordination between those people and, in that case, the government gets worst. And if it gets really big, gets really, really worst. And then you have the smog and then you have the traffic jam and then you have a bunch of things that we bitch about every day by living in, in, in a big city. So what technology comes here to solve now is basically that coordination. I can tell everyone what's happening in a specific time or specific spot. Everyone can tell me what's happening in a specific time or specific spot. And so we are this instant uh, uh, coordination that can be done by technology that really solves problems that we created. In a nutshell, I think intelligent city strategies are problem-solving uh, solutions for the problems that we created, that we created before. And as we come up with new solutions to solve that problems, we will create new problems. And then we will need new solutions. But that's the history of the cities. And so technology is the tool for that. And here in Qashqais, one of the other big trends of cities is the mass participation because of what I just said. And so you have the ability of all those things that we talked about before, of you understanding what people want what people need in the city, where do we want to go, then you can start doing that with co-creating the city with your citizens. And, and that's what technology is for. And what you saw is basically our operational center that manages the quality of service of everything that we do in the territory. But then we have another layer of technology that manages the interaction with, with the people. And so from voting in a participatory budget or presenting a project for the participatory budget, from letting us know that there's a pothole on the street that needs to be fixed or a sign, a street sign that, that was, that is broke. So everything, the, the, the citizen becomes really much more part of the, of the day-to-day -day life. How did you get budget to do all that? Because one of the things like it's pretty impressive is how Nova was built. In terms of uh, partnerships, I know you've been working a lot of private-public partnerships as well. 
because a lot of cities are like, oh, we would love to do this, but we don't have the money, we don't have the resources. How have you been managing this? Because you have well, like some pre-like top solutions that most cities are going to say, oh, we just don't have the money for it. How, how did you solve that issue? There's a lot of strategies for you to do that. Well, one of them is Nova, for instance, is a business in itself and it has education, it has a lot of goodwill. And so we promote the civil society, and in this case, the corporate society, to actually come and, and build, being part of the project, having a purpose. And, and, and the purpose is fundamental in a city and into attracting both people and corporations. The other strategy that we use is, so technology also, with technology comes the, 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 the lowering cost of solutions. And so we are able now to create proofs of concept that are fairly easy to, to, to implement um, and we can test them in a, in a, whether it's in the whole city or in a very specific neighborhood, we can test them very easily. And so one of the approaches that we do is you are a company that has a solution, but it's not tested yet. I will invite you and will co-invest with you into a pilot, a real life pilot. And then I'll get a solution for the city and scale it up if it works. And you get a proven concept with a first customer that you can go and sell to the world. And so it's kind of an investment of the, 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 the private partnership in the solution or in its product. You give them a test that while, because it's while so we test. test while because we you test. need like a really like good case to actually sell the solution to others. You need data. You need like all these things that Precisely. these companies, yeah, that has been like extremely creative on, on your side. Yeah. I was very impressed by the window that gets tainted with the, <laughs> with the button as well. No, but it's impressive when you go, when you go there and you explain all this because I think I think also on startups, on companies, on like, especially public institutions, like, oh, there's no budget ends up being like a great excuse for not doing things. And you guys have been like building. All. No, but then the third strategy is the actual uh, results of a given project. Right now we have one of the, I think we need to finish, but just to give you this example, Right now we have all of our uh, echo islands for trash collecting are uh, sensorized. So it means that the trash collecting truck only leaves the warehouse with a route completely full of full deposit, the trash deposit. By opposition, what they did before was each truck has their own route. They do it at, on Thursday and on Friday and they would do the, the they would do their route. That investment costs as around 1 million euros. But because we have half of the trucks collecting 20% more garbage, our savings per year were, were in, the, in the, the, the cipher of 800,000 per year, an investment of 1 million. Yeah, it's amazing so return. who doesn't have money for this? It's not possible not to have money for this. And on top of that, we saved 350 tons of CO2 emissions per year which contribute to our decarbonization uh, uh, plan and objectives. And so all of this, if you value, evaluate, and, and then you have less traffic on the street, uh, and also people appreciate that. And so if you put a value to all of this, this is an incredibly profitable project that even if you don't have the money, I can get you 10 
funds that will lend you the money to do this to do it and get because it's highly profitable definitely do you think that or has it happened that actually from the citizen side that there comes some kind of backlash because with with technology as a tool and using it you always come up with the with the question of security and everything that the data is secured um, so that have you ever had the problem with citizen coming out like I don't want to share my when my trash is deposited or how much I deposit it has it ever been an issue Probably that's, not on trash. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's really an issue, um, and, but we need to face that. Absolutely. Uh, I usually tell people that the price of the future is privacy, and you will pay it, and you are already paying it. The only thing that we can discuss is the amount of privacy. So it's how much are you going to pay? And the value you get for yeah. it, because it's... Like you're doing it on Gmail all the time on Facebook no, no, but that, and Instagram. But, but that's the point. Yeah. That's the point is how much do you want to pay for what? And also because of technology, I can tell you that the solution of the community of Qashqais can be completely different of the solution of the citizens of Lisbon. But you will pay. All of us will pay. So this is the time to decide if you want to pay a little and have less comfort or if we want to pay a lot and have a lot of comfort. And I think that just to, to finish off my point on, on data protection is that I don't care about data protection at all. We are trying to protect data. That's and a that's great impossible. snippet. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That, that, that's the, the, the title the of title, the podcast. I don't, I don't care, care about data about protection, data protection yeah. at all. <laughs> Because if you think about it, data protection doesn't protect anything. If you look at the rules that we have right now, they, they do nothing for me. What I would prefer instead of data protection would be transparency on data usage. Anyone right now can have my data because I'm giving my data to everyone. What I would like to know is that every time they use any kind of data, they would have to notify me. That's what I would like. I don't care about the data being protected because I have no data to, to protect. Maybe the central bank has data to protect. I don't have any data to protect. I, I have data to share, but I want that sharing to happen in some conditions, not the ones that I'm saying that I allow you to keep my data. I don't care about that. If I'm using the service, I'm allowing you to keep my data. What I would like to know is if you are using my cell phone number by giving it out, by selling it out, by using it in another service, I want to be notified. And then I can let you know, listen, delete my, my data because I don't want you doing that. Marco, uh, we're getting to the end of our time. I think we're ready to be respectful, <laughs> but it's, it's still fascinating speaking to you. Um, what are the projects now? Because uh, right now, like there were just elections, so there's another period to work on things. What are the projects you're most excited about? Well, there's, there's a couple of projects that are really futuristic. You mentioned the one of the drones, self-piloted uh, drone, electric drones. I think that will be, we'll see a lot of that. We'll have a, we have a, a pilot plan for next year. What is it? Can we know a little bit more? Well, for now, the idea is to have drones, taxi drones, flying people from we call vertiports to, to vertiports, whether it's within the, within the city or uh, uh, across cities. But we, we, are, we have a long way to go there, so we need to start, that's what we're going to do next year, start flying the drone just without anyone, just flying ours, and then we'll go to the delivery services 
and then we'll go to to people. And so not really sure how long this will take, but we're starting next year. The other thing I'm super excited about is what we're going to do still this year. We're going to implement a, a real life pilot on a technology that is being tested only in lab, which is basically will allow us to take 10 kilos of garbage, residential garbage, and transform it into one kilo of hydrogen. And that hydrogen will then go to our hydrogen powered buses. And so making a really first circular economy project that uses real life garbage that will not well, there's no digital garbage, but use this garbage. <laughs> there is a lot of digital garbage. <laughs> <there. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no, a lot of digital garbage. But it's also garbage. real life. But it's also real life. <laughs> but um, so you take this garbage that right now is being thrown into landfills. So it will stop going to landfills and it will actually be used to, to create this hydrogen. The CO2 that, that is in the process that is being used to create this hydrogen will be captured into active carbon that will then be fertilizer for the crops that need the CO2 to, 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 to rise. So this is, I mean, I call it the holy grail of, of, of city management right now because the environment is such an important thing. And if this works and we see this, the impact of this and we are able to scale it, this will completely change the paradigm that we have right now into residue handling and combustion or fuel uh, problems. I mean, look at London. It's um, If you are able to produce your own fuel locally and use that, everything that everyone is uh, throwing out, this is incredible. It's really amazing. And it's super cheap as well. I mean, you're taking stuff from people that they don't want That's anymore. That's the question you did not ask, but I will tell you it's not that expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Mark, Thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on all the Thank amazing you. projects. Always a great pleasure speaking with you. It's been, what, 25 years that we know yeah. each other by now. And uh, Consti, thank you so much. Thank you as well. It was Thanks, a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Next week, we will be back with another episode of Lead Sex. We will be talking about the disruption in the retail sector. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You may reach out to us for commenting, giving suggestions, or just say hi by email, x at leadsadventures.com, Twitter and Instagram at leadsadventures, and LinkedIn, leadsadventures. Leads is L-I-T-S and stands for Life is Too Short. Leadsex podcast is a result of the teamwork between Beatrice Schoza, Janos Geyer, Lydian Marie Friedrich, Sigurd Colts, and David Bernardo Santo. Please remember that more than providing answers, LeadSex podcast aims to raise awareness and questions about topics that are becoming relevant and discussed in society. The podcast reflects the personal views of each of its participants and not any institutions. It's not in any way meant to give investment, health, medical, or any other type of advice. Many of the topics addressed are still not fully tested, confirmed, or approved, so please question everything you hear and exercise extreme caution with.